A Day No Pigs Would Die, Chapter 15. Papa lived through the winter. He died in his sleep out in the barn on the 3rd of May. He was always up before I was, and when I went out to the barn that morning, all was still. He was lying on a straw bed that he rigged for himself, and I knew before I got to him that he was dead. Papa, I said his name just once. It's all right. You can sleep this morning. No cause to rouse yourself. I'll do the chores. There's no need to work anymore. You just rest. I fed and watered Solomon and Daisy and milked her. Then I threw some grain to the hens and made sure they had water and collected the eggs. One was still wet from laying. I remember there were only seven eggs, five whites and two brown. I wiped off the specks and carried them up the hill to the cellar, and then I went to the kitchen where Mama and Aunt Carrie were already moving about. Now that I was thirteen, I was taller than both of them. I put an arm around each one and held them close to me. Put my meal in a basket, I said. I'm taking Solomon into town to see Mr. Wilcox. Papa won't be coming for breakfast, not this morning and not ever again. I'll be back in about two hours, but first I'll stop and tell Maddie and Hume and some others. You go, Mama said. Carrie and I will make do just fine. There's not time to tell your sisters. And scattered all over Vermont, they couldn't come. I'll write letters to all four, I said. Now about the funeral, does he have any good clothes? Yes, Mama said. They've been ready for some time, up in the camphor chest at the foot of our bed. Mama, if you could get them out and be ready when Mr. Wilcox comes, it would be a help. They'll be, she said. I kissed each one of them on the brow and went outside to yoke up the oxen. I stopped Solomon at the front gate, went inside and got something, which I never did eat, tied up in a clean checkered napkin and went into learning. I told Mr. Wilcox, who was a good shaker man who took care of our dead, after telling Aunt Maddie and Hume, I went on home. I made just two more stops to tell Mrs. Bascom and Ira and to tell Mr. and Mrs. Tanner. By the time I got home, Mr. Wilcox was already there. His bay gelding was just outside the barn hitched to a small rig. Behind the driver's bench was a coffin. It was unpainted wood and there were no handles. It was a gift from the circle of shakers in the town of learning. Somewhere I'd find money to pay Mr. Wilcox. His fee would not be high as he was also the county coroner. People will be coming at noon, Mr. Wilcox, I said to him as he was preparing Papa. Everything will be ready, Robert. Thank you, sir. I told Aunt Carrie and Mama about the time of the funeral. I knew they'd be ready in their best and plainest. They won't be many coming, I said, maybe six, and that's all. Rob, Mama said, I'm glad you've got, we've got you to handle things. I couldn't have done it alone. Yes, you could, Mama. When you're the only one to do something, you always get it done. I dug a grave in the family plot in the orchard. After that, I hunted for a chore just to do anything. The day before Papa died, we'd been mending a plowshare out in the tack room. Instead of just waiting for people to come, I got to work on it a bit and just about got it righted. Before I walked out of the tack room, I noticed something I had not took note of previous. It was the handles of Papa's tools. Most of the tools were dark with age, and their handles were deep brown, but where Papa's hands had took a purchase on them, they were lighter in color, almost a gold. The wear of his labor had made them smooth and shiny, where his fingers had held each one. I looked at all the handles of his tools. It was real beautiful, the way they were gilded by work. As I stood there looking over the tools, I had the hanker to reach out and touch them all, to hold them in my hands the way he did, just to see if my hands were sized enough to take hold. Under the tools I saw an old cigar box that was gray with dust. Inside was a wore-down pencil stub and a scrap of old paper. Unfolding the paper, I saw where Papa had been trying to write his name. One of the haven pecks was near to perfect, and he'd almost had the hang of it. The paper was dry and brown, as if he'd practiced for a long time. Carefully folding the paper back into it just the way he had folded it, I rested it in the box and closed the lid. Then I went inside to change clothes as it was almost noon. 
As a young boy, I'd had a black suit that Mama had made me, but I always felt like a preacher in it. Besides now, it was way too small, and what Papa owned was too spare. So I just put on a new pair of work shoes that were tan and a pair of Papa's old black trousers, which I turned up inside and stuck with pins. I wore one of his shirts with no necktie. I looked at myself in the mirror to make sure I had the dignity to lead a family to a grave. I looked more like a clown than a mourner. The shirt didn't fit at all, and the tan work shoes just stuck out like I was almost barefoot. I ripped the shirt off and threw it on the floor. Hear me, God, I said. It's hell to be poor. By noon, they'd all come, just after we got Papa dressed and his coffin into the house. Aunt Maddie and Hume were the first. Mrs. Bascom came in with Ira Long. Only her name now was Mrs. Long, legal and proper. But in my mind, she was always Mrs. Bascom. Mr. Tanner and his wife came in the black rig with a pair of black horses. I went out to meet them. Thank you for coming, Mr. Tanner. Robert, my name is Benjamin Franklin Tanner. All my neighbors call me Ben. I think two men who are good friends ought to front name one another. And I'm Bess, his wife said, from here on. As the Tanners joined the others in the parlor of the house, I looked up road. Another wagon was coming. It was May and Sebring Hillman. And from town came Isidore Crookshank, along with Jacob Henry and his folks. Last to come was Mr. Clay Sander, the man my father slaughtered for, along with several of the men that Papa worked with. There would be no work on this day, a day no pigs would die. I was glad they came. Some of them were dressed no better than I, and some not even as well, but they came. And they came to help us plant Haven Peck in the earth, and that was all that counted. They came because they respected him and honored him. And as I looked at them all, standing uneasy in our small parlor, I was happy for Papa. He wasn't rich, but by damn he wasn't poor. He always said he wasn't poor, but I figured he was just having fun with himself. But he was sober. He had a lot, Papa did. The coffin was open and lying on the long table in the kitchen. It was the only place for it to be under our roof. Papa was a tall man, but he was not to be seen from the parlor, where all his friends had gathered, and I was just pleased. A man can't rest when he's looked at. As eldest son, it was my place to say words about my father. I didn't know what I was going to say. It wouldn't be much. What I thought about Papa couldn't have been said. Being his son was like knowing a king. Haven Peck, I said, devoted husband and father, a working farmer and a good neighbor, beloved by wife, four daughters, and one living, living son. We are all grateful to know him, and we ask that his soul enter the kingdom hall there to abide forever. Mr. Wilcox had coached me a bit as to proper words, so I guess I did all right. We left the parlor and filed through the kitchen to look at Papa for one last time. Lots of folks said amen as they passed by. We closed the box of raw, unpainted wood, nailing down the lid. Then six of the men raised it up and walked with it out to the grave I dug in the orchard. With lowering ropes, they let it down into the ground onto two small crossboards so that they could pull the ropes out again. There was something in the Book of Shaker that was it was unfit to bury the ropes with a coffin, probably because rope was so dearly priced it would be an earthy reason. I placed two shovels there at the open grave. As soon as the coffin was down, Ira Long and Sebring Hillman, two of the sturdiest, started to shovel the soil into the hole. The first shovelfuls had some Vermont rock in them, and the stones hit the wood like a drum. But then, as more and more dirt was added, it sounded softer and softer. When all the earth was finally replaced, they packed it down with the flat of their spades. There was no marker, no headstone, nothing to say who it was or what had been done in his sixty years. We all walked away then, Aunt Carrie and Mama on either side of me. They both looked and walked so proper, and I was proud to be between them. Mama's sweet face was so plain and so empty. What she missed most was not to be spoken of. We all would long for a different parcel of him. 
Rob, said Ben Tanner, as everyone took leave, if Bess and me can lend a hand or help in any way, just ask. Thank you, Ben, I said. You're a goodly neighbor. The way you said that, Ben said, you sort of sounded like your father. I aim to, Ben. Then they were gone. Mama and Aunt Carrie were busy in the house, scolding each other to keep from weeping. I changed into my work clothes and scraped a wood shim for the door of the milk house. Solomon had cut on his eye. I didn't know what from, and I treated it with bork best as I could. I cleaned up the tack room and sharpened a scythe. I cut a fresh sassafras tree and pressed, prepared it so as I could boil a new bow for Solomon's yoke and bored a hole in both ends for the cotter pins. At chore time, I paled Daisy, fed, watered, cleaned, and put brown fresh straw. Then I ate supper with Aunt Carrie and Mama. There wasn't much to eat except beans, and we lived on that all winter. Beans and pork, and none of it was easy to swallow. After the supper dishes were washed and dried, I could see how tired Mama looked, Carrie too, so I sent them upstairs to bed, each with a hot cup of tea. As I knew I couldn't sleep, I put on my coat and walked outside. I took a look in on Daisy and Solomon, and they were both quiet as vespers. Both of them were getting old, and they liked being in the barn, even on a nice spring night like this. Something brushed against my ankle. It was Miss Sarah, just to say hello, before she went on to the meadow to hunt moles. I don't know why I walked out toward the orchard. All the work there was done, but I guess I had to give a good night to Papa and be alone with him. The bugs were out, and their singing was all around me, almost like a choir. I got to the fresh grave, all neatly mounded and pounded. Somewhere down under all that Vermont clay was my father, Haven Peck. Buried deep in the land he sweated so hard on and longed to own so much, and now it owned him. Good night, Papa, I said. We had thirteen good years. That was all I could say, so I just turned and walked away from a patch of grassless land. Thank you for listening to A Day No Pigs Would Die by Robert Newton Peck.